What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Just Joe Podcast. This is episode 17, creeping in on 20. Uh, this episode, I bring in my good friend, an amazing drummer, uh, Jason Bittner. Uh, he was in uh, a band. I first, I think I first met him when he was in a band called Stigmata, and then he joined a band called Shadows Fall that you guys might know of. Uh, he was in Anthrax briefly as a touring uh, drummer. He then joined Flotsam and Jetsam. He is now a current member of Overkill, uh, thrash metal legends from New Jersey. So we're going to talk some music. We're going to talk some Neil Peart. Check it out. Everybody welcome Jason Bittner. Welcome everybody to the Just Joe podcast. We're at, what is, Cody, what is this? Episode 16? 17. 17. I got my good friend, old buddy, Jason Bittner with me. Current drummer of Overkill. Current drummer of Shadows Fall. Former drummer of Stigmata, which is, I think, where I first saw you play. And a uh, you were like a relief pitcher for a relief drummer pitcher for anthrax for a little while as well so say hello hello just joe and and everyone out there how are you my friend right i'm good man it's funny because last night i was thinking about this podcast before i went to bed and like maybe i'm like okay we'll probably hit on a few of these points and then i had a dream that i was doing the podcast with you but matt byrne kept budging in and like taking over the the podcast and i'm like man this isn't your i've already interviewed you now it's jason's turn hey dude it's all right (laughs) well it's funny because i'm looking back on my guest he can budget budget on the podcast at any time i love maddie burn so so do i and the, the funny thing is is like i've interviewed a lot of drummers like i've interviewed Derek kurzweil yeah i've interviewed mercedes yeah from from kitty yeah now you Uh, I feel like I've interviewed another drummer, and I got Skinny lined up from Mushroom Head at some point. So it's like, which every and every single name you just mentioned there are all all, all Shadows Fall related in the tree. We exactly. toured with Mushroom Head. We toured with Kitty. Derek was in the band part time before I joined. Yep. <laughs> I'm like, dude, what a fucking incest, what an incestuous world we live in, you know? Absolutely. Well, it's the three states: New York, Massachusetts, Connecticut. We're all on top of each other. Yeah, you know, you know exactly, man. So, <laughs> I know you're getting ready to go out. Uh, you're, are you ready to hit the road with Overkill right now? Yeah. Yeah, dude. I'm in that last prep prep week, which you know as well as I do, from being on tour is just like the week of stress. <laughs> You know, because you're trying to get every single thing done and you know you're not going to be able to do it, but you try every single time anyways. <laughs> I, I don't miss the point of like, what do I pack? Like, that's the, you know, at this point, that's the easiest thing. It's just yeah. right now, I'm just, I'm just in a midst. It just happens to be I'm in a really busy time because I, um, I'm, I'm in the process of rebuilding a whole new setup for this tour. And I had to get a, we had to get a new riser and all this stuff. So it's been like traveling to various places to pick up things and just losing days here and there and then waiting on hardware to show up. It's like, I feel like everything is like just last minute. So right. like as soon as I get this thing set up and finally go, okay, and it's all marked out and ready to go on tour. It's like, it's already going in the case and then going right in the van Friday to go right okay. to Jersey to go inside the bus to drive out to LA. <laughs> so oh, is, is, like, that, is that where the first date of the tour is? Yeah, Anaheim. Jesus. So we're... <laughs> like, to, no off dates, just like, hey, we're getting in the Jersey and we're driving straight to Los Angeles. Well, well, no, let's not say we. <laughs> we are not doing that. Right. <laughs> I am driving to to, Mass, uh, to Massachusetts, to Jersey on Friday with a van with some of our some of our gear that has to go. 
the bus is going to storage in Jersey. It's gonna it's gonna deadhead out to to L.A. with um, our tour manager, one of our P, uh, our PA, and our drum tech, and then the rest of the crew is meeting them in L.A. and we're flying to L.A. the following weekend. Oh, thank God. They're like, well, not you know that that weekend. Like they're leaving Friday. I'm leaving Monday to go to to go to L.A. I fly out Monday morning. I have a couple of days of business to do there between uh, some stuff at uh, either Drum Channel or DW, and then uh, Tuesday I'm going to the Remo Factory, and then Wednesday the tour starts in Anaheim. Awesome. Who, who's on this tour with Overkill this time around? Us, Exhorter, and uh, Hydroform. Exhorter, nice. Yeah, yeah, that's gonna be cool. Very cool. Last I mean, past so, so, yeah. So let, let's get into this. Like when you, after Shadows Fall, kind of like you, I guess you would call it a, being on a hiatus. You guys were just kind of, I, I get it. You know, some people, your fans, are like, well, when are you gonna come back? And guys, kind of just hit a wall. You know, and it's like, yeah, and we had. I mean, Joe, things were not. They were just getting worse and worse and worse. The guarantees were getting smaller. The crowds were getting smaller. People's people's lives were going in different places. It wasn't like we just said, hey, we're on top of the world. Let's just decide to go away. It was just like, um, <laughs> maybe the universe is trying to tell us something right, right now. I mean, I, mean, <laughs> do you, I mean, now that you had some time away from it, do you think there was like a specific factor that there was led there, to that. There absolutely, yeah, there absolutely was. There's a few. You know, I don't, I don't want to start getting into the nitty gritty with what I think the turning point is because I'm gonna, it, it's, I'm just gonna say that every record a, a band puts out cannot be a great album. That's it. And I feel we put out a record in our height of our period that I feel was not a strong album. I'm not going to name names. I, I'm, I'm just going to You don't have to. I know which one it is too. So it's, you know, it's all good. And, and, and that's my opinion. But the rest of the band disagrees with me. And that's fine. But everybody can have their opinion. But that's where I feel there was a change. And then the two records we put out after that one were, in my opinion, amazing records. And I feel a little, at that point, something had shifted. And it wasn't like it was too little too late because our diehard fans were still there. But we were now out of the public eye as much as we were collectively with like Killswitch and, and Chimera and Lamb of God at that period when you, when all those bands got mentioned together yeah. slowly, but surely our names started not getting mentioned there and our status went down a little bit. Yeah. This is my personal opinion. No, I mean, so, that's a, you know, knowing you guys, knowing the business, knowing that side of the music and watching that kind of all unfold, I, it, it makes complete sense. And it's crazy yeah. how one little thing like that, whether you think it's that part or the other guys think the other part, but I really think they can all collectively feel that probably happened. And it wasn't intentional by anything. It just 
it's how no, it fucking played right. out. And just on and then on, on that tour cycle alone, you know, it was we it wasn't really set up the way we wanted it to. We were supposed to go out and the plan was to just open for people, and then we're automatically headlining the Sounds of the Underground tour, which really or co-headlining it with. Um, or no, actually, it wasn't. Like Guar headlined it, and we were like co-direct support with Chimera. Whatever, whatever the the billing was, it was. It already started a cycle of like, oh, this isn't what we planned, and like we had taken so much time planning that I think I think we were a little disappointed that in the end our plan was not what was put forth by people that were in charge of us. Right. And so then that's, and, that's, and then it becomes and then it, no, and, that well that and it becomes a perception thing from the fans and the people that are maybe casual fans or people that are fans of the music. Then yeah. the perception looks like, well, they, I guess maybe they're falling off, you know, and it's like yep. and then once that happens, man, in, in this day and age is these years go by, things happen so fastly, you know, fastly right. as I don't know if it works, just really fast. <laughs> I know point. what you mean, but, you know, and, and the thing is, too, is, like, you hang on and you're trying to hang on and you're like, look, I'm not going anywhere, I'm not going anywhere, but in the meantime, I just started going, well, something's going to happen eventually, and then i got to figure out what the hell I'm going to do next, and at the point, right. at that point in time, what happened is I was on tour with Anthrax. It was 2012, and I was filling in for Charlie on Mayhem, right. and that was when Rob was basically at the end of his rope. And one day he just came up to me and he said, hey, could John do this gig if, if uh, I asked him? I'm like, absolutely, John could. I mean, because John's a great guitar player. What am I going to say? No, he couldn't. Of course right. he could. And he goes, oh, I'm going to, because I'm, I'm going to quit. I'm going to see if he wants to join a band. I'm like going, you're not going to quit. You know, I'm like, you're just pissed <laughs> off today, whatever. It's just right. a bad day, whatever. And the whole entire tour, he's like, could John do this gig? I'm like, yeah, yeah, he could. All right, I'm quitting. I'm like, Rob, you're not going to quit. And four months later, he quit. And then John was in the band. So that yeah. was the catalyst. I mean, that was the second catalyst right there. Yeah. At that point, Paul had had his son. He was off the road. He yeah. was. Yeah, you guys had a different. On. You had a different touring bass player at that time too. Right. He, we had fill-ins because Paul went home basically and we did very selective touring, and then. Brian got married. Brian had his first kid. Brian had his second kid. Uh, John joins Anthrax. And at that point, people had other priorities. And I can't blame either one no. of them for their for for the decisions that happened. Right. And and that's really what happened. So that's it. Like, and everybody thinks so. Oh, it just broke up. I'm like, no, it just didn't break up. It's like we're all still friends. We talk all the time. Right. It's like, there's no like you know. Veil of secure of um, secrecy between the right. the guys that were once in this band, it's and, like the, and there's, no, there's no like drama either. There wasn't like oh no. this guy did this or we had this, you know, because that happens all too often. Nope. But it was just a, I think life just kind of gradually crept up on everybody, That's and the, it's you know just what happened. The, you know, the one thing I can say, Joe, is is it amazing. It, it amazes me that we were a band that really had no internal problems. Like we were not a fighting band. It wasn't like, no. you know, we, for the most part, we got along pretty good. So there was really none of that stuff to deal with, which, you know, you know, as well as I do, you know, is amazing, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cause there's, you know, there's push and pull and then somebody wants to be the leader or right. somebody thinks they should, or someone thinks they have the better ideas, but it was just a, yep. a natural progression, but so then that kind of fades out, and you end up with Flotsam and Jetsam for I a little while. Actually, ended up in Syracuse for a little while. If you recall? Oh, that's right. With, I forgot about that. That was was that before Flotsam? Yeah, it was. 
um, because uh, Josh and Mike from Toxic came out and they saw me with Shadow Fall when we played through at Hatebreed when we played the Westcott. Yes. And um, they came out and asked me if I wanted to work on some demos they were working on. I said, yeah, absolutely, because I, you know, I liked the band when yeah. I was younger. And uh, so I did, like, you know, we did this record that unfortunately never saw the light of day, sadly, because there's some really good material on it. But, you know, it is what it is. And um, that's when I started playing with, with Billy Bodily, because he was playing bass in the band. So... I did that for like a you know a year or so, and then or a year, maybe two years, and then and then Kelly called me from Flotsam, and he told me he was leaving. And he asked me if you know if I wanted the gig. He's like, because there's only he's like, there's only two people I want you to want to do it. It's like either you or Greg Hall. And Greg at that time had had been back with Sacred Reich, so he had a full time gig at that. Yeah, because they're they're all are they all from Sacred Reich and getting Flotsam from that. Arizona both, scene, both, right? Both from Phoenix. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So they all went to high school together and shit like that. So, um, so I, and, and at that point I was getting a little disillusioned with what was happening with toxic anyways, because it just didn't seem like it was progressing to the, to the, um, to the speed that I would have liked it to progress to. So uh, that was a no brainer. I was like, absolutely. Cause I was a huge Flotsam fan, just as much of an overkill fan. Right. So I joined Flotsam like in the end of 2014 and I stayed with them until, you know, the beginning of 2017 when, you know, Blitz and the boys called me. <laughs> but I mean, and you, you knew the guys from Overkill. <laughs> and that overkill. was a great gig. And you knew, you knew the guys from Overkill, right? For a yeah. number of years. Yeah. I've known those guys since like 1990, 1991. That's crazy. And it's like yeah. to this day, I mean, I, I, you were obviously a huge fan. I've seen you talk about that on your social media before, but like, do you ever sit up there and you're playing, you know, like... Uh, you know, hello from the gutter, like something, one of their classic songs. And you're like, and you look up, and you're like, holy shit, dude, I'm I'm fucking the drummer in Overkill. Like, how yeah. cool is this? Yeah. You know, like yeah, 12, they're, 12 they're, year old Jason might be like, yeah, dude. It, that's happened. And you know what? Sometimes I sit back and I go, holy shit, dude, you've played in three of your favorite bands between Anthrax, Flotsam, and, and Overkill. So, uh, and I mean, arguably all like architects for the sound of that genre. Absolutely. It's, I mean, it's where I learned to play drums. I mean, that's it. I mean, there's only two bands out of that out of, out of, in in life that I could play in that would matter more. And neither one of them are playing live anymore. And that's Russian Slayer. So, right. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and and I wouldn't want to be the drummer in either one of those bands. <laughs> oh, Jesus. <laughs> I'm not. I, well, no I mean, it's, no bullseye. It's, it's, just, it's, it's, a cool, it's a cool progression to see that, like, you know, because... As you know, as a as a as a singer, I can easily transition into like, hey, I can just play a solo gig, but you know, Brandy Sim kind of fell apart, or you know, I left, and I kind of transitioned and like, I can just play piano and sing. I can do that, and I can easily find gigs and be a marketable to myself. Where it's like, sure. as a as a drummer, when your gig dries up, you're like, fuck, what do I do? I'm not going to sit what in the corner of a bar and just play a drum solo for three fucking hours. You know, I'd like to, well, but man. I mean, it's like. That's got to be a, a, a scarier place to be going, oh, shit, now what? Dude, it's terrible. I mean, I, I fortunately am I'm very fortunate because, you know, my wife has a, has a good job and she has great health insurance and she makes good money. And we and and I'm I'm a little bit luckier than most that that I'm not, you know, going, oh, my God. But it's 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 oh, my God. Like when that stuff happens, it, there's no 
okay, there was only one year where I ever had like a retainer from music. Like right. when, when we were signed with Atlantic and instead of taking, um, like lump sums of money off the contract. Yeah. Did I lose him? Salary. So we'd have a check every week regardless if we were on the road or off, which was great. But that happened like for 18 months out of the right. 20 years. Out of the 20 I, plus years <laughs> you've been in the business, yeah. <laughs> right. So, so you know what I mean. So when you have those, when you go, okay, well, I'm going to be on tour for four weeks, so I know I'm going to have X amount of dollars coming in. All right, so then we're going to do a VIP, and I'm going to get paid for, for that. Oh, okay, that's cool. So I have that X amount of dollars come in. And now if I do private lessons on the side, there's an extra boost. Okay, so now I'm going to spend this much probably in expenses on the tour, so I'll probably come home with this. Right. And then you find out a week later that, oh, the tour gets pushed back another six weeks. Oh, oh fuck, now what? Yeah. <laughs> you know? And then you're like, um, ah, well, uh, all right, that's going to... That might change things now. So, yeah. if if you're if you were smart, like the like I said, the couple times that the one time that I got a check from this business, I was just smart enough. I paid my house off, and then yes. I invested the rest of the money. So I would have some kind of nest egg. God forbid those times where you know there's no money coming in or whatever, or if it gets tight. There's so many. There's so many times I hear those bands that sign a, a, that big deal, and everyone goes out and blows it on something stupid. Yep. And I mean, I'm. This isn't a secret, but like I remember, you know, I'm real close to the guys in Mushroom Head. I still talk to Skinny mm-hmm. all the time. I've guessed it on the record and all that stuff. And you know, he that's his band at this point. It's Skinny. It's Skinny's yeah. yep. Skinny's call, and he's made that very successful. But, like, mm-hmm. I remember sitting at the studio one time doing some stuff down there, and I'm like, well, how do you own all this and nobody else owns it? You just buy it. He's like, he goes, well, when we got our huge advance from Universal, he goes, I invested it back and started buying studio equipment and this and that, and everybody else in the band was buying cars and doing stupid shit with their money, and then all of a sudden, you know, we're not on Universal anymore, and we're back to, you know, being DYI again. He goes, and I had built this all up, so he goes, I wasn't stupid with the advance. You know, yep, yep. It's he's it's, a smart man. He, he is. <laughs> he is. A, he is a smart. I mean, dude, to the point where I think I brought this up not too long ago on another podcast that like I think Skinny plays about half the set now. And, yeah, and it, and his drum tech gets up, and then Skinny goes out and plays water drums, or he just kind of sits back and stuff like that. I mean, dude, he's like, I mean, as you know, I mean, singing is one thing, but drums. I mean, you're just beating the shit out of your body. I mean, you're four. You are. You know. I mean, how how do you feel? I mean, you went through a health scare during all this crazy time too with pancreatitis. And pancreatitis, yeah, that was back in uh, 2012. Yeah, and yeah. you and you, it, it forced you to never be able to drink booze again. No, you can't. Drink. Uh, Can you? Yeah, it, it it. Well, let's just say that I I've I've had a had a couple couple beers here and there, <laughs> right. you know, just for special occasions, or whatever, right. You know? Nam, I had a couple of drinks at Nam. And nothing like, no, nothing like partying back in the day. <laughs> right. You know, nothing like that at all. But I, I didn't drink for for a solid five years. But I mean, <clears throat> it, it, but here's the thing: like maybe something like that helped you be able to like, okay, my body's, I have to be pay attention if I want to take this as far as I kind of have to like be well healthier. I've always had that kind of concept, Joe. I mean, that's, that's, that's always been in my head. It's, I've always, you know, worked out and tried to stay in the best shape possible and tried to eat right and all that. 
pancreatitis and, and quitting alcohol and all that just made me even more, it made me better off than I already was to begin right. with. Right. Okay. For, I mean, obviously cutting alcohol out of your, out of your regimen is, is does tons for your health is your, for your health benefits. Right. That's, that's an, that's an obvious. <laughs> so, you know, obvious weight loss, you know, you're, your blood work's going to be better. Your, if you have a high blood pressure, that's going to go down. Whatever you know. Right. Obviously, not drinking is better than drinking for your <laughs> for your system. But it it also made me think more about my um, choices with my diet, and like we went pretty much all organic for for all our foods now, and well, even from back then till now, and uh, you know. But as I get older. I find it, it's always a challenge to, to choose the best workout for when I'm off tour because, you know, I have to think about my, my longevity with, with stage time. Yeah. And, 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 and an overkill show is not, it's not a walk in the park. It's no. Just, it's, it's, I mean, the band, the band is called overkill for a reason. It's 110% <laughs> intensity from the moment we step on stage until the moment the last two notes of fuck you. That's it. It's 90 minutes of pure adrenaline. There's no, oh, all right, this is a rest song. Like, even, like, the song that I think is kind of like a rest song, which is Necroshine, which is, like, song number seven, yeah. is, like, one of my favorite songs. So I end up being, like, so into it, like, animated with, you know, swinging my arms that, like, <laughs> I'm not really resting. Just because I'm not playing 200 BPMs doesn't mean that right. it's still not challenging. Well, for anybody who's <laughs> listening and doesn't listen to Overkill, you really need to hear it. And I think... The first thing that'll hit your ears is is Bobby's voice. You know, like it's so unmistakable and just in your face the yes, entire time. Like yep. he, that is like there, there could be no overkill without him. You know, no. that is so signature of a of, of a sound. And you're right, that is just like I, 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 the entire time. I love it, but like, dude, when you're gonna, there's not gonna be a, an ebb and flow like you listen to a Metallica record or a Megadeth record. There's just maybe some ballads or ballady type of stuff. And shit, even in Shadows Fall, you guys had some ups and downs and stuff. That, but when it comes to Overkill, absolutely fucking not. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, the years of decay is kind of like a ballad, but still, in the end, it's still yeah, heavy. <laughs> exactly, it, it gets there, man. So it's cool. It's like a ballad, like sanitarium is. You know, it's like yeah, the first half is, but then it gets heavy. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, it's. I mean, obviously, Shadows Fall is the the band you're most known for, and you've played with all these other projects. Yep. And I don't know if yep. you can even answer this question, but where where have you been? The, what what is the happiest? You know, like. As a musician, where are, where's the happiest you've ever been in any of these projects? If you could pick, can you pick one? <laughs> yeah, and if I 
if I say my current band, it's going to make everybody who's a Shadows Fall fan go, how can you say that about Shadows Fall? But you know what? I love being an overkill. That's I, I'm just going to yeah. say that. It's like having four older brothers. And and there's just no there's no drama. There's no BS. It's just it is what it is. And we have a lot of fun when we're together. Yeah. And I'm not to say that we didn't with Shadows Fall. And when I get to do that with them again, we're going to have the same amount of fun that we have with Overkill. Right. But it's just, and maybe it's just a different vibe because I'm, you know, I'm a, I'm in a different decade of my life now than when I was playing in Shadows Fall. Right. I mean, in Shadows Fall, we're, you know, come on, you were there. Yeah. You know, it was a bottle of booze going down every night. How many cases of beer? I mean, I'm, I'm not saying that. <laughs> I'm not trying to, like, play a martyr here or anything, but, like, we partied our heads off. So yeah. it's like, you know, I don't think that you appreciate like personal relationships as much when you're just blurring right through that, when you're doing no. tour after tour after tour after tour. And, you know, when you're you're ending one tour, just like you guys, yeah. if you end one tour and we jump right on the next one, like the day later. Yeah. <laughs> you come home, you sleep for like three days. Yeah. You, you don't even unpack. You kind of do a load of laundry, throw it back in the bag and you go. You know, yeah. I mean, yeah. honest, honestly, yeah. is now that we've gotten older as brand new sin and now we're, I mean, we're, I guess we say we're back together. I mean, we're, we're just seeing where it goes and with no, yeah. no pressure on anything like that. But it's really like this time around, we came back together. It's like, like all life, it all happened to us. Kids have grown up. I had a kid, you know, like all this stuff yeah. happened and we have just such a, a deeper respect for each other and, and our personalities right. and right. and who we are instead of like, oh my God, I fucking hate that about the person. It's like, I kind of enjoy yeah. that about the person because that's what makes you you. You know, and everybody right. has their certain role in the band now and everybody's like not trying to be like, dude, that's your thing. I don't want anything to do with that thing. You do that thing and I'll do this thing. And so it's like, it just works better. It's, it's nice. It's, but yeah. there's no way if we kept on all that path, there's no way that like, I think part of it fizzled out for us and maybe for you guys to save our lives. <laughs> we we may not be sitting here having a conversation about any of this yeah. if we did, you know? You know, the one thing, I want to go back to what you what you just asked me, because I, I know someone's going to read that last question and, and Blabbermouth's going to turn into a headline that says... <laughs> well, I hope they do, because that would bring me some notoriety to this podcast. But go ahead. I, you know, we'll be like, oh, Jason Bitter says he never liked corn with Shadowfall uh, and he likes Overkill better. Right. You know how they just take whatever oh, yeah, you say exactly. and twist it into whatever the hell they want to make it. I've been, what I want to say is I've been very, very lucky, Joe, to, to, to be uh, the bands that I've been a member of, Stigmata, Overkill, Shadows Fall, Flotsam and Jetsam, have all been great situations to be in. I've None of those bands I've ever sat there and go, I really don't like that person in this band. I've never said that. I've never had to say that ever in my life. One right. time Jason Sunkis and I got in a fight in Stigmata when we weren't even in Stigmata. It was when, it was when we were playing an off show in Burning Human. And we actually got in an almost, almost fight. And that's the only time that there's ever been any altercation with anybody. And like the next day it was like hugs and, oh, sorry, dude. Yeah, I know, me too. You know, shit like that, you know. Never has there been, you know, videotaped band fights in front of a tour bus that have been put on DVDs. <laughs> oh, like like Lamb of Gods, all that. You're right, you said, oh not me. God, yeah. Well, I remember watching that, but to see how they've all progressed and you know right, what right. they are now, it's like it's awesome because I mean, it, it, for anybody who wants to have longevity in this business, like those days have to go away. Like at some point, yeah. you have to like, okay, it's not to say that you can't, but like. We see what happens when someone doesn't. 
Okay. Yeah. We, we've seen it. I don't even want to make a laundry list of what happens to bands or what happens to people if they don't like, okay, those days are over. Let's try to do this. Because in in my sense, and, and we all love Dimebag to death, but if Dimebag was still alive, there would have been a moment where he would have had to like pump the brakes. Yeah, absolutely. You know, Zach yeah. Wilde had to pump the brakes. You know, all, all those dudes that were like that all had to do that because they they were doing it longer and harder and bigger than any of us ever did. Yep. You know, so you wonder yep. if Dime would have had to hit that point too. You know. Yep, and I I think you're right. I think he would have. Yeah, you know? I mean, I mean, we all have to we have to transition and 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 be like, okay, we're going to be responsible. Like, do we want to just party and play on the weekends, or are we going to make a we're going to take this as long as we can as a as a career? You know, right. and, and and hence why I I stopped drinking at one point for like eighteen months. I drink now, but nothing like. The, back in the day and I started taking yeah. care of myself yeah. health wise and stuff like that because I mean dude I love what I do and honestly I can't switch careers at this point <laughs> I'm right. past yeah, that exactly. like, what am I going to do at this point <laughs> I know <laughs> I mean when's the last what's the last like real day job that you had uh, when I worked computer operations for the state of New York, which I officially resigned from in 2002 before we went on OSFEST 2003 <laughs> No, no. When I, I'm sorry, I officially resigned in in 2003, right before we went on on Osmos 2003. So you were so yeah. So you still worked through a little the first worked, part of that touring cycle. I worked for, through almost the. I worked the whole Art of Balance record, and that was it. Yeah, yeah I and because I, I I was lucky enough where I had so much time built up that I I was I was just taking. I'd have vacation time or the tours were short enough or I'd go leave without pay or whatever. And then finally just got to a point where I wanted to take a leave of absence. And my boss said, no, nah, we, no, we can't, we can't let you do that, but we'll give you a promotion. I'm like, Oh, oh like, uh, Jesus, that's awesome. But, uh, <laughs> I think my band just got awesome. 2003, yeah. And I hear we're going to Japan too. So I have to go to Japan. Yeah. I have to go. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm like, that. how many times do you get that opportunity in your life? You know? <laughs> oh, and by the way, Slayer's on the bill. Oh, okay. Right. That's yeah. We, I'm sorry. I gotta go. Sold. Right. Sorry. I gotta go. But that, that's crazy. Cause that's right around the time. I, the last time I worked a day job was like, yeah, it was about two thousand. It was two thousand two, right around the same time. And obviously, we didn't have all those offers either. But I was like, well, either I'm, and I didn't leave like a prestigious job. I was, I was right. a literally, I was a bank teller. I was a yep. customer service representative at a bank. Yep. So I was like, I didn't walk away from anything lucrative, you know. So I'm like, yep. all right, and you know, I've been a lifer ever since, you know. And I mean, yeah, I mean, I'm, I think maybe worked at some weird jobs in between tours like paint house or mow some lawns but like nothing like a i would consider a day job well for for me that's why i was i i fought so much when um when i was off the road that's that's what i did to ha have money coming i taught and did clinics but for the most part over the last 10 years you know clinics have sort of dried up and pretty much like last year i kind of like not like stopped teaching but you know kind of like shut it down well, I, mean, more, it, I wasn't advertising and stuff like that. Right. It's, it, I mean, could imagine it's, you know, it's a, it's a hustle, you know, on top of the already hustle it, that you got is, going it's on. It's an absolute hustle. And, and to be honest with you, I just got sick and tired of it. I did. My, I lost my fire. Right. And if you, <laughs> if you don't have fire. that, you're, you're no use to the people that are trying to learn from you. you and, know? and I knew that. And I knew that. And that's why I just kind of like, you know, when I get back from tour, I, I slowly but surely didn't start calling people going, Hey, I'm back from tour. 
But if they called <laughs> me, then I take them in. If they right. made contact, no problem. But I'm I I stop the. All right, I'm going to contact you. You know, no. <laughs> That's crazy, man. That's awesome, man. Um, yeah. so obviously you lost your mentor in this time. You know, you, yeah. you lost Neil Neil Pert. We, I mean, we all did. But like you, yeah. like you got to personally get to know the guy, and from what I know, that's not. He didn't let many people in. No, he didn't. He was very reserved. I mean, yes, he never he did the meet and greets or anything like that. He was never really comfortable nope. with being a rock star. He was just a fucking pure. He just loved nope. playing music and creating. That's it. And when and he was just the type of person that when you got in the inner circle, you found out how how beautiful of a person he was. He was just, you know, gracious and so nice and accommodating and just, you know, he was awesome. You know, for the, for the, 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 which is funny because I actually, you know, (laughs) I've known, I really knew him for over 10 years, which is unbelievable to me, but you know, he was just always, always awesome. Even, even the times that I couldn't, couldn't come to the show when they were in town because I was on tour. There was a couple of times that happened. He still took care of giving Jonna tickets one time, you know, her and my parents were in town. So it was kind of like once you were in the, in the inner circle, so to speak, you yeah. know, you're it kind of the, the olive branch kind of like extended to your family too, <laughs> Yeah, which, that, which was nice. That's awesome. And like, I've always respected living the hell out of them, but I just watched that last, uh, the documentary they put out about their last yeah, tour. Beyond the lighted stage. No, the one that was just about the tour. Um, and like what he was going through physically, because like, you know, yeah. he wrote on his, he, I mean, we had their booking agent for a brief time. When we were with, in 2005, I can't remember, I think his name was Troy. And he had mm-hmm. booked Rush for their entire career. And he came and met us out in New York City and we're t- telling story. He was telling us stories about Rush, and he's like, "Yeah." He goes, "I have to route uh, everything so that when we get a, when they got about a hundred or two hundred miles away from whatever venue they were at, they would pull over. Neil would get out. He would get on his mm-hmm. motorcycle and then drive the rest of the way himself on his motorcycle." him and Michael, the security yeah. guy. So they would they would yeah. go and do that, but like on that and that documentary, he got like like trench foot or something. Yeah, his his boots got wet and he had to ride like a ridiculous amount of hours. And his and his heels, both of them, got so cracked they were bleeding crap. He had to play like with Vaseline and his and his feet all gauzed up. It was it was yeah. the, and the yeah. description was was disgusting. Yeah, <laughs> and you watch that documentary and then you watch him like. Putting on these shows, it's not like he's up there, you know. No offense to ACDC, but he wasn't like up there just holding down the two and the four. No, he's not. And if, and if you if you watch any video footage over the years, and and I don't even know how the hell he did this because he was a god and he defied human human knowledge. But right. he was like Buddy Rich. Yeah. He was just like Buddy Rich. The older he got, the harder he hit. I, I mean, he's not up there just touching the drums. He's he's. Beating the shit out of those. I things. don't know, and a it's lot of a lot of guys change their style as they get older because they 
don't have they can't do that so they changed their styles but he didn't he was hitting harder as he got older it's like what the fuck yep. how do you do that yep i mean he did go to freddie gruber for lessons to change his playing style but it didn't take his intensity away no it just gave him a different fluidity of motion that allowed him to do that with uh with more ease so which is Sadly, what we all strive for. Right. Well, let me let me ask you one more question. Well, let me ask you one more question about him, and then we'll get on to something else. But like, what set Neil? I don't know if this is an easy answer. What set Neil apart from anybody else, and why he's held in such high regard? Why? I mean, what do you think that makes him different than anybody that's ever played? What do you say? I mean, is that easy to answer? It's not an easy answer. <clears throat> I didn't think it was. It really is. It really isn't. I don't know. You know, this is this is how my my train of drumming went. Okay, when I was a kid, I was influenced by all the '60s stuff that my mom was listening to. So I'm hearing Mitch Mitchell with Jimi Hendrix yeah. Experience and Cream and Ginger Baker, and my dad's listening to the Doobie Brothers and the Allman Brothers. But in the meantime, I was a big Who fan, so of course I'm going to like Keith Moon, who right. was one of Neil Peart's biggest idols. Yeah. So there's a connection right there. So I grew up liking Keith Moon, and then I become immersed in Stuart Copeland when I hear the police. So now I'm listening to this trio, and, and that's where that whole direction went. Around that time is when I also started to hear Maiden for the first time. Well, actually, I was actually before the police because I saw Maiden the first day that uh, MTV came on. But I mean, like, getting into, like, Number of the Beast, you know, Peace of Mind era, Maiden. And right around 83 was when I, like, I don't even know how it happened. But, like, I knew the kid across the street from me. I had known Rush, and obviously everybody knew Tom Sawyer and Spirit Radio and stuff like that. But, like, just, like, I didn't, I just didn't get the connection yet. Um, And then one day, the kid across the street from me brought over permanent waves, and I just sat down and listened listened to that. I remember hearing Farewell to Kings years and years and years ago at the the girl's house who used to babysit me because her brother was a bass player, and him and his friend were listening to it. But I was so young at that time. I was like eight and so immersed into Kiss that, like, Getty Lee's... At that time, at my eight-year-old years, whatever caterwauling was coming out of the speakers was not Kiss. So it, it didn't matter that it was going to be the band that became my favorite band ever. It was like, no, it's not Kiss. I don't care where it is. The cover looks kind of cool, though. Right. But that's the first that's the first time I remember anything Rush-related. So that was like 78. So when I was literally living at the house down the street from where we live now, um, my mom used to rent the house down the street. The kid across the street, his older brother was a huge Rush fan. So he brought over 2112 and Permanent Waves one day, and we sat and listened to Permanent Waves all the way through. And once I got to natural science, it was something about natural science that I was like, holy crap. Like, just like the drums in that song made me go, all right, this is not Iron Maiden, but this is, I have, whatever this this is right now, I have to learn this. So <laughs> it, it, it spawned my, like, and I, I remember seeing, like, the Tama ads and the giant red drum set and all that. I'm like, that all already was an awe inspiring, but right. like it was that record that was like, Holy shit. 
And my friend really liked 2112, and he put that on. And I was like, no, no, this isn't. This is nowhere near as good as that first one that you just played. It took me a while to get into 2112. I got that phase came later on. The first era rush that hit me was permanent waves, moving pitchers, signals, grace under pressure. That was it. Because grace yeah. under pressure was grace under pressure was the first time I saw them live in 1984 at Glens Falls. So by then I was like fully. I was fully immersed in Neil Perry. He was my favorite drummer. Rush is my favorite band. My drums are set up exactly like his as far as I could get with my limited budget <laughs> at 14 years old as a paper boy. Right. Um, and, and he was just, he was just it, you know, that was it. Exit stage left became the, the record that I played along to every day. I got home from, from, from school. And that was my focus until I heard Metallica and Slayer. Yeah. Then it changed. <clears throat> but it's just that there was just something about Neil that just like I mean everyone holds him in such high regard like nobody you can can't compare him to anybody you can't and this is what I can tell you about Neil Neil Peart's drumming just sounds intelligent that's <laughs> that's where I'm going to leave it but, his, but, the, but, his drumming alone ex- exudes intelligence but then the it dude wrote does. all those fucking lyrics too. I, I know. <laughs> That's what and, I don't think and, some people realize. No, and I think and I think other people don't even also realize that he almost didn't graduate high school. So, <laughs> you know, he's highly educated on his own. Yeah, and and then and he was a huge part of like the imagery of the band, the the stage. I mean, that dude had more than just he wasn't just the guy getting behind the drum kit. He All was, right, let me tell you this, let me tell you this quick story and, I'm, and hopefully I don't start crying by time this it's <laughs> over with, okay? All right, let's hear. So so the first time we meet it's, it's funny on so many different aspects. So the first time we meet Neil is at, at Saratoga Performing Arts Center. I had met Lauren his tech a year prior at the NAMM show and he's like, "When we come through town, get a hold of me." And I'll make sure that you, you meet me on. I'm going, this guy's never going to make me. He's just being nice to me. Right. You know, I'm like, he says this to everybody. And he <laughs> also tells me that Neil Parrott knows who I am. And I don't believe him. I'm like, no, he doesn't. He goes, yes, he does. Trust me. He knows who you are. I'm like, okay, whatever. So <laughs> the summer comes and we're, we're and we're, I had just finished shooting my DVD. And I said to Paul Siegel from Hudson Music, who had a house in Saratoga at the time, too aside from living in New York City. I said, are you going to be up to the Saratoga show when, when Rush comes through? He goes, as a matter of fact, I am, because we're talking to Neil about this new DVD. I said, do you think there's any chance in hell you can get me just, you know, just a second just to shake his hand and just say hello and, and not tell him he's my favorite drummer in the world? <laughs> right. No, he doesn't want to hear that. Right. I don't know. He's real close. I don't know. I know. I know the history. I know. He's like, well, let's see as the, as the time gets closer. I'm like, okay. So I tell John, I said, look, if we have a chance at this, you know, we got to be ready to drop a hat just to leave. So, like, we're, we're ready all day on the Saturday of the show. Like, we already got tickets for the show. We, we, you know, we know we're going. So we get a phone call, like, around 3.30 or so, and it's Paul Siegel. He goes, hey, what are you doing? I'm like, oh, we're just sitting here. He goes, how soon can you be here? I go, oh, like 45 minutes. I go, why? He goes, Neil has agreed to meet with you. And just those words that came out of his mouth, I like turned white as a ghost. I was just like, <gasps> you, gra- you grab the white by the arm. He's like, don't, don't, we're going. <laughs> no, I was like, we got to go. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so I grab, I grab my, uh, a snare drum that I have. That's the same model that he used for years. It's called the Swingerman artist. So I grab my snare cause I'm going to have him autograph my snare. So, so we got in the car, we go up there. 
we go backstage, we meet up with my friend Lou Rizzo, who was the was the radio guy at Atlantic at the time, because that's when we were still on that's when we were still on Atlantic. So mm-hmm. we do the whole meet and greet. We get in the meet and greet line, we see Alex and Getty, and I had met them at the Atlantic offices, so I re you know, we got reacquainted, they remember meeting me, we said hello, it was pleasantries. They took a picture with me and Jana, and then they put us off to the side. And then you just see the whole meet and greet line, like, why are they going that way towards the dressing room? Because they know who's in the dressing room, (laughs) you know? They're like, those people are going to go meet Neil? (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) So they shuffle us into the hallway, and we're standing in this one little, like, cubbyhole area, right? Right. And he comes walking by. And the only thing I could think about was like this footage from the seventies of Bigfoot, you know, like when he goes lumbering by through the woods, yeah. that's what it, that's what it was. He was so tall. I'm like, oh, it took my breath away, Joe. I literally was like, Oh my God, there he is. That's <laughs> just like, Oh my God, <laughs> Neil is in the building. Yeah. So meanwhile, before on our way up there, I'm texting with Mike Fortnoy. I'm going, I can't believe it. it's going to happen. I'm going to meet him. He's like, whatever you do, don't ask him about drums. I'm like, I know, I know, I know that. I know you don't ask him about drums unless he says it. He goes, unless he says it first. I'm like, I know. Okay. So we go backstage and John has got the camera. I got the, she's got holding on to my camera because I'm going to document this moment. Come right. on. You know, yeah. 38 years for this to happen. So, so at this time, Michael, who's a security guard, who who I'm I'm very good friends with now, but at that time he didn't know us from Adam. You know, he right. just looks over at her and he's like, "Known pictures," and I'm thinking, "Oh, I'm going to ask him myself. You can you can tell me no pictures all you want. Right. I'm still going to ask your boss." Right. <laughs> so so we go in, and um, Paul from Hudson Music introduces us, and and. I say, Mr. Pierre, it's an absolute honor to meet you. And he takes my hand and shakes it. And he goes, I hear we have a mutual friend, Nick Raskolinis, which was the producer, the producer of yeah. Friends, Friends of, of Life. Life and the producer of, Va- of Vapor Trails. And that's what opened the floodgates. That, there was no, you know, weirdness at meeting. That's how he started the conversation. It was like, yeah. And then we just started talking about Nick and, you know, his nickname for him and all this stuff. So it was just really funny because we had that common bond of recording with him. That, that's what started our conversation. So in the process of the 10 minutes that were, the 10, 15 minutes that were, that were with him, which is right before, we're literally in his warm-up time, that he's taking, taking time out of his warm-up to meet with us, which is astounding in the first place. So right. I don't ask him anything about drums, but in the first five minutes, he proceeds to go sit down on his warm-up kit and show me what he's working on with his lessons with Peter Erskine. And I'm just like, I'm like grabbing Jonathan. I'm going, oh my God, I can't believe this is happening. I'm like thinking like, holy shit. Like, not only are we talking about drums, he's working, giving me a lesson, basically. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, showing me what he's working on. Further making me go, yes, I don't play the same instrument. Here's my hero showing me that he's still practicing. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, so I'm like, oh my God, I just like, I'm, like dumbfounded by this. So we get done with a little demonstration and he takes the snare drum. I say, would you mind signing this one? He's like, sure. No problem. He's like, I used to, I used to have one just like this. I'm like, I, I know, I know, sir. I know. Why I have it. I <laughs> so, so we have, uh, we, he gets done signing the drum. I go, 
would it be too much to, to take a picture? He goes, absolutely. So I kind of just hand the camera to Michael with this like, look on my face. I'm like, man, 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 I got a picture. So, so he takes a picture with me and Jonna. And then Jonna goes, excuse me, Mr. Pierre, could, could I ask you a favor? She goes, he's been waiting his entire life to meet you. Can you just take one by him by yourself with him? And he goes, Oh, of course. We wouldn't want that last one to end up in a settlement one day, would we? Right. (laughs) We were laughing our asses off. So, like, automatically, and now he's joking with us. And I'm like, I can't. It was like the, I couldn't believe what happened in the 15 minutes from the time we entered that. And, you know, from the time we entered the room until the time that we left was like, holy shit, you know? Yeah, because there's always that, there's always that same don't meet your idols. You don't want to meet your heroes. You know, some of them you don't want to meet, like some, that guy Tommy Lee. He's a dick. Right, exactly. Sorry, did I say that out loud? No, you can. Because like, <laughs> there's been a few people I've met along the way, and I'm like, man, I wish I didn't meet David Draymond of the Sturgeon. <laughs> you know, like, I wish I didn't meet them, you know, because I'm like, wow, they're, they're, not, they're not the people that I thought they were. It's like sometimes you don't, but like, you take that chance that maybe it wouldn't have this this thing, but then you end up having Neil, this amazing experience, Neil like was bonding absolute, experience. He was an absolute gentleman, Joe. He was just awesome. You know how Dime was awesome? That's how yeah. it was. Oh. I mean, that's that's exactly how it was. It was just like, you know, when he saw you, hey, how are you? You know, it was just like, and I think he was like that so much because his time was so, he only took that minimal amount of time to do that with minimal people. He gave it his full effort, basically. Right. Well, because you know, I mean, he was of, such he was such a student all the way up to the end, and such in yep. such an artist that like that's what consumed his time. Yep. And and you know, as we get older, man, we just realize how precious our time is, and it's not that we're trying to shut people out. It's like, dude, we only have so many hours a day, and we have to devote it to the things that really matter and the things that pay our bills or take care of us or our legacy and stuff like that. You have to make that thing. So for him to carve right. that out means a lot. And, and the thing is, is like there were so many Rush fans who were so mad when he retired. And, I mean, I'm, I was disappointed, of course. But, you know, there's got to be some time. If the man wants to go home, let him go home. Right. I mean, he went through intense personal tragedy, losing his yes. first wife and daughter. He had a chance to have a family again for the second time, and he wanted to go spend some time with them and not be on the road for another 40 years. You cannot fault the man for that. No. What just what is just so heartbreaking about it is that he didn't have that much time with them after he made that decision. No, I was going to say but, it wasn't that many time, but I mean, I think he knew. Did he? I mean, I don't know. Did no, he, did he, he know he that did, he was that sick? No, he did not. And it, that's and it, that was the last thing I was going to say was I'm so glad that it wasn't that that factor that made him leave Rush. It right. was not. They did, that didn't. He didn't find out for that for almost six to eight months after Rush was done. Isn't so that, that's isn't that he weird went though? Out on his that's term. so weird. Whew. It's yeah, like he almost, almost it's almost it's like almost he, like you know Jerry Garcia gets off drugs and then he dies. Right, exactly. <laughs> it was like Jerry Garcia, like you know, he, hey, I'm going to get look off at, drugs and he dies. <laughs> yeah. Look at Tom Petty. I retired from touring. Then I died. Right, exactly. It's just you know. <laughs> That's why. That's why Lemmy's like. Okay, fuck, that's that's like, why Lemmy like, said, "I'm Richards not stopping <laughs> until I literally fucking die." Keith Richards defies all. All. That's the most amazing thing. Is any any of those dudes in the Stones like how? First of all, how are they even upright? How the fuck did they still put on three hours? How do they fucking do this? <laughs> even it's, even Lemmy was like, "All right, come on, dude." <laughs> yeah. 
It's like, I don't well, even know. But I remember on a three hour show that's so slow. It's not. <laughs> right, right. I mean, it's, they're not doing a motorhead show. They're not doing a, a rush mm-hmm. show. You know, it's, there's, there's things, but I do. But I, I think that's a great way to, to wrap this, this podcast up. That's a, I mean, how are we going to top that little story right there? So, and I know you got stuff to do. You got a ton to do this week. Uh, if anyone is out there that ends up listening to this, comes out in a few days, uh, uh, you get a chance to go see Overkill. Uh, you will not be disappointed, especially with Exhorter opening. Like yeah. you know, like if anybody knows Exhorter, they'll. You and know, we're playing New Orleans too, so that'll be cool. That's like, it's always like that's where Phil from Pantera kind of copped a good style. You know, he copped a little bit from Kyle, and that's yeah. a little bit of Pantera is it was was part of that. You know, that people give Exhorter a lot, my you know, a lot of credit for that. You know, but. Mm-hmm. Phil took it to another level and stuff like that, but he's absolutely influenced by Kyle. So if you want to see some lineage of heavy metal going on, you got to go see Exhorter. And their new shit is fucking amazing, too. So, Yeah, and in the last, actually, the last show of the tour is, uh, we start February 26th in Anaheim at the House of Blues. The last show is uh, March 14th in Montclair, New Jersey. Yeah. Uh, I think the Wellmont Theater, I think it's called. And not only is is it that bill, but also MODs on the bill oh, with Billy, Billy Milano. Hammer too, which is going to be really cool. I love those guys. Oh my god, dude! We did one little quick start. We did a, um, we did a like a Brooklyn metal fest. It was like this poorly put together like club show. I don't even know if the club exists anymore. And <laughs> they wanted us to headline, and Billy Milano was doing an SOD and MOD set right before us. We're like, dude, we're not following Billy Milano. Like, <laughs> They forced us to do it, and we're like, well, fuck it. We just got fucked up and got in the pit for Billy Milano, you know, just because, I mean, it, it was it was awesome because I tried to explain to people what SOD and MOD. I was like, dude, how they got away? And you couldn't put out music like that now. Oh, my God. That first MOD record? Yeah. Now forget it. <laughs> and right? Exactly. Oh it's just God. so, so wrong. But, like, it, thank God that we have it, you know. Terrible. so. Oh so, my god! Well, dude, have, <laughs> have have a safe tour. I hope everything works out. I hope the tour fucking kicks ass. I, I, you and I have been trying to connect for a few weeks. I'm glad we that we finally did uh, and stuff like that. Yeah. And, uh, and and tell the wife I said hello and just be safe, man. Kill it. All right. Thanks, Joe. All right, take care, man. All right, All right man. I'll talk to you soon. All right, bye. bye. Album pick of the week. I got to pick my favorite Shadows Fall record. Um, a lot of people would think The War Within or The Art of Balance is the ones they're most known for, but my favorite Shadows Fall record is Fire from the Sky. It was the last record they put out in 2012, and in my opinion, it is the best sounding record that they have production-wise, and there's some just brutally, brutally awesome songs on that record. So check it out. Shadows Fall, Fire from the Sky. Yeah!